I just started creating the content and there's a snowball effect. And now I don't have time to keep up on the podcast as much as I want. And I sometimes can't even keep up on the requests that come in. I get people requesting my time. Hey there, everyone. I am excited to introduce our very first guest on the Content Heroes podcast, Nate Smoyer. Nate is a good friend of mine and the host of the Tech Nest podcast, where he interviews innovators in real estate tech to share what they're doing to transform the way we buy, sell, and invest in real estate. On this episode, Nate shares with us how his podcast enabled him to break into an industry where he had zero connections and quickly position himself as a go-to resource for some of the most prominent leaders in his niche. So stay tuned, everybody, because you do not want to miss this episode. Let's jump in. You're listening to the Content Heroes Podcast, where entrepreneurs, marketers, and creatives share how they've built profitable businesses on their own terms by creating content online. And now, your host, Josiah Goff. Welcome to Content Heroes, everybody. I'm here with Nate Smoyer, and he is the host of the Tech Nest Podcast. Nate, I really appreciate you taking the time to join us today. Yeah, my um, pleasure. This is fun. I'm usually on the other side, so I'm going to enjoy this. <laughs> I have to admit, I have a slight ulterior motive having you as my first guest on my podcast. <laughs> Let's hear it. And that's because I've been watching you kind of from the sidelines for everybody listening. And Nate and I have been friends for a long time. We used to work together back in the day. I've kind of watched from the sidelines as he's started this podcast and grew it to where it is today. So I figured who better to start with someone that I'm friends with, we can sit down, we can have a conversation. And then I can also just ask you lots of questions about all the stuff that you did wrong and kind of learn from your mistakes so that I don't have to make them. (laughs) Yeah, fair enough. I mean, there's a long list, so I hope you got some time. So why don't we just start? Why don't you tell us a bit about your background, who you are, and let them get to know you a bit. Yeah, so I'm Nate Smoyer. I run a podcast called Tech Nest, where we feature the leaders and innovators in real estate technology who are working to transform the way we buy, sell, and invest in real estate. That's not my full-time gig. I run marketing for a company called Avail. And we have the only end-to-end solution for DIY landlords and tenants in the country. My background is pretty much all over the board. It's kind of weird. I, I don't really see a separation between being a kid and my professional life. It kind of all merges together. I started in the nonprofit industry. I started a nonprofit when I was 14. I started my first company or, or business idea when I was 18. And then my second one when I was 19, another one when I was 22 or 23. And then it took me until I was in my early 30s to try the fourth one because I was so burned from the first three. (laughs) But I've always been around real estate, like in and out, different capacities, built homes, sold materials, worked for a home builder. And it wasn't until I became a realtor in 2017 after spending many years in digital marketing that I started to see the light, which was kind of somewhere in the way merge between real estate and digital and tech. That kind of led me down this kind of weird, not very direct path into real estate tech, also known as prop tech, and ultimately starting what's known as the Tech Nest podcast and leading to me getting my job actually through that podcast. That's great. So let's go back a bit Let's kind of go back to when you first started. What inspired you to start a podcast? And first, before we get into that, obviously, this podcast is for online content creators. Were you already an online content creator? What inspired you to get into all this? (laughs) Well, I'm a marketer. So I've always looked at different ways to get my messaging out there. When I was working for a home builder, I was actually in charge of building security and our vacant property maintenance. 
So I wouldn't exactly say I was in a marketing role capacity, but in spirit, I was always there. So I actually like went out on a limb and created some like radio spot appearances for the company, little gorilla campaign. I had the company create mobile billboards. So what we did was we literally built boxes on the back of pickup trucks and then had employees drive their 45-minute commute on common routes to and from work so that we got the advertising there because it was way cheaper than actual billboards. That is awesome. (laughs) (laughs) And then on Saturdays, I would take our company Hummer, the real H1 that was decked out in our logo. And then I would stand on busy business corners with the Hummer and a sign that would just read homes under 250. And it would point to the community on weekends. I've always looked at opportunities and ways of using different mediums to get my message out. When it comes online, though, there's a handful of challenges I run into. I'm not good at writing consistently and a lot. I'm like full of typos. I don't speak proper. I have like thoughts in my head and they're faster than I can type. So then I go back and read my sentences and it's like missing half the thought. So podcasting is like kind of always stood out as like to me, it's been one of those things I've thought about for a long time. And I think really, honestly, starting a podcast for me was like five years in the making of me thinking about, I should start a podcast, but I had no idea what the podcast would be. I just knew that I didn't want to do a monologue. I just didn't believe I had anything important enough to talk about from my perspective that was worthwhile someone else's time. So it just didn't really connect. And it wasn't really until I started thinking about how I was going to break into an industry, prop tech, where I didn't have any connections. I didn't come from the industry. I was trying to build an agency that was going to serve companies in that industry. And yet I didn't have any connections. So how can I possibly do that? The podcast for me was the most logical step into making a name for myself in the industry. And I suppose actually the idea like really came together. I read, I think I read like three chapters out of the whole, the internet hacks book or whatever that Russell Brunson put together. Oh, internet secrets, dot com secrets. I think that's what it is, dot com secrets. I kind of rolled my eyes at the book, but then I looked up a few chapters that sounded interesting. I read one, it talked about being like the reporter persona in your industry. I was like, oh, cool, that, that makes sense. I can do that. And then just created a podcast. That's kind of, I mean, that's the birth of it. That's how it came together. (laughs) Yeah. You read a book and then a few chapters of a book and then started the podcast. So what was kind of going through your head in those moments of you making that decision and jumping in and committing to actually seeing this thing through and launching it? The first thing was kind of like two practice episodes. I did one with a friend of ours, a mutual friend, Jeffrey Kranz of Overthink Group. And I said to Jeffrey one day, he was doing these teardowns of companies of their content marketing. I said, hey, there's this company called Open Door. They just raised like another half a billion dollars, whatever it was. They're a soft bank company, so go figure. I said, it would be interesting to get your take on what you think they're doing on content. And then I'll interview on it because I'm in prop tech. And then we'll leverage each other's platforms to gather some attention around it. Maybe one of us will pick up a lead or something. I did that first, trying to figure out how to do interviews, really. Initially, I was like, it'll be a 15-minute conversation. Like, No one's going to listen to long of that. And we talked for 25 or 30 minutes. And then I did one with Tom Gustafson. He is a 1031 exchange intermediary, which is not really all that important to know what that means or what that guy does. He just helps people save on paying out in taxes for capital gains and selling properties. I did an episode with him and it took like an hour and 10 minutes. Like, okay, so we've got some baselines. <laughs> it'll be 30 minutes long. It'll be an hour long. But then what I did was I took one of my favorite podcasts. I listened to how they structured the show. And this is really what set the groundwork was I listened to how they structured the show and they guided the conversation. And then I took, in order to create the show, 
I took my sales script. So I have what's called a sales script for a needs analysis call when I would talk to clients. And it would uncover all the pieces of their business. Who do you serve? Tell me about your clients. What kind of feedback do they give you? What problem do you solve? Like we would go into all those questions because that's where I would determine, hey, is this a client and I can actually help? At the same time, I'm priming them thinking about all these problems they have to think of me as the solution provider. And so I figured, well, hey, if this can work for a sales call, it makes a lot of sense for a podcast. And then I just removed a few questions that probably some people wouldn't want to put on podcasts. And then all I did was add in you know, segments. I created like a series of four questions and then a second series of three questions. And one was based on predictions and one was based on reading books and being professional, then called it a show. I use a script on my screen, just like I would do when I was working in real estate sales. Or anytime I go into a sales call, I have a script. I use that script as a guide so that if I lose my place, I can find my way back. But also, I always know the flow. I always know where to bring the conversation back to. That was the basis of how I formed it and came about it. A lot of other stuff went into it, but that kind of summarizes how we got moving. And the tech stack is simple. It's just Zoom. I had a 60-hour mic from Best Buy and Zoom download the MP3 and you're good. There you go. You have an episode. <laughs> you basically did what I'm doing right now, right? Where you, you had a conversation with Jeffrey, which by the way, Jeffrey's also agreed to be on the show. So Boom. Um, beat you, yeah. Jeffrey. Get some. <laughs> and uh, kind of just got your feet wet and get that energy, that momentum. Because I think the big thing that I know for me, I also wanted to start a podcast for a while, but in my head, it's always seemed like this much bigger obstacle then, you know, it, it actually turned out to be because it wasn't until I finally committed like at the beginning of last week, by the end of the week, I had the name, I had you scheduled, I had three or four other people agree to be on it and everything else was already in the works. It's coming together so quickly. Yep. But one of the things that was my biggest mental hurdle was actually reaching out to people that I didn't know personally or didn't know very well. And getting those first few people to say yes and agree to be on the show. What was that like for you? Easy. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so I mean, let's, let's boil it down for a little bit. The first few outreaches, I wasn't sure people would agree to. So the way I structured the launch of the show, because again, I had no contacts in the industry. I had said, I'm going to be the guy who runs paid media for real estate tech companies. And I had zero real estate tech clients and I had zero real estate tech contacts. Nobody knows me. First thing I did was create a dream list. Some people know it from the book, Sales Machine, which it's the ultimate sales machine. I've got it right here, Chet Holmes. This concept is basically you make a list of 100 clients that you would put in your dream client list. So I started doing that. By doing that, I learned the landscape of all my prospective clients. I built a very detailed list. I went beyond 100. I think I went to like 500. By doing that, I sent out LinkedIn requests and followed people on Twitter and followed them on Facebook groups and followed them on AngelList and followed them on Crunchbase and made a list of their company on Crunchbase and did all those things. And naturally, some of them replied back to me. It was kind of a law of averages. I don't know, probably one out of 100 will automatically respond to you. Well, I had determined, I was like, I'm going to do six shows on my launch. Well, you don't have to really connect with that many people to have six people show half an ounce of interest in this thing that you say, hey, I'm going to launch a podcast. And I'd be honored if you were a guest on the launch season. Once you had one, you go to guest prospect number two. 
and you say, I would love to have you on the show. I already have so-and-so booked as the first episode. You'd be episode number two. And then once you have two, you go to prospect number three and I'd love to have you on the show. I've already have so-and-so and so-and-so. They've said yes to be on the show. We're going to launch it on this date. And they're also sharing on their social media platforms the day of launch. Would love to have you on the show. Four, five, and six are easy. It's just knocking over dominoes. I think I maybe pitched 10 people to get six shows. And none nice. of them recorded with me ever having listened to anything from me. None of them even heard a finished product. Since my product though was marketing and advertising, I had to at least do half decent of a job promoting the show. Right. <laughs> so, so when people say like, well, no one will give me experience. How can I get experience? Well, that's stupid. You know, just go make something, go do something. And mine was, I asked for their time. That's true. I did ask for their time, but I also gave them time when no one else would. So that's different. I went after business and entrepreneurs who might've been on the cutting edge and the cutting edge is the most risky. It's the hardest. They have the most extreme ideas oftentimes. They're also not the most polished to put together. And not to say that my guests weren't polished to put together because I had some amazing guests in my first season. But that gives you the in. That's the in. Like you're giving them something they're not normally getting. Getting those first few episodes was honestly really easy. And then I made season two really easy. I actually had two sponsors on the second season, which I haven't taken sponsors since. That actually was really easy. I think I did 14 episodes and launched those all at once. And then it was after I did that, I determined I would never do batch loads ever again, <laughs> which I had my own reasons for doing the batch loads, but never again. You do have to do a little something. And I should add, prior to the podcast, the way I was priming some of my audience, I was creating uh, what I'll call video overviews of companies in the space. So when I was prospecting all these companies that I wanted as clients, what I did was I used Loom. Have you ever used Loom? Do you know what that is? Oh yeah, I love Loom. Yeah. Yeah. So I would go to a company's website and I would just open the most interesting pages on the site, just put them all different tabs. And then I would sit down and for six to eight minutes, I would narrate their website to you. That's all I would do. I would go to a website and I would say, hey, there's this company, it's called this and here's what they do. And I would scroll through and show you, hey, this is how they're positioning themselves. This is interesting that they say this because it sounds like they're trying to position themselves as this. Here are their co-founders and the values that they say. Those are admirable values to have in a company. Take a look at some of these things. Also, here's some money they raised according to Crunchbase. Oh, here's some Facebook ads that they're running. By the way, here's a screenshot of SEM Rush. This is what they're doing on paid advertising. It looks like they're doing well. Hey, good luck to you guys. And if you want to see me do a teardown of your company, just message me below. Post it on LinkedIn, tag the people from the company, and suddenly now you're in their feeds and the people following their feeds. And suddenly someone says, that video was pretty cool. And then you just message them back. Yeah, I also do a podcast. Would you like to be on the show? And it's easy. <laughs> you know, like as far as content creators, like I'll touch on, on that, like, because that's the point of this show. There's this fear that it has to be over the top polished. I'm not a designer. I don't do anything with audio. I don't do video. I don't know how to do any of that stuff. I still have no idea what kind of microphone I'm talking into now that I bought for like 50 bucks off Amazon with like the swing arm and the pop filter. I know this is a pop filter because people talk about it. I couldn't tell you if it works. <laughs> <laughs> the difference is like I just started creating the content and there's a snowball effect. Now I'm at the point where I don't have time to keep up on the podcast as much as I want. And I sometimes can't even keep up on the requests that come in. I get people requesting my time which is kind of weird, but it's kind of cool. That is awesome. What's that progression from starting to where you are now? Like, what does that look like? And where are you now? Because it's really interesting to me. It's a very niche space. And yep. 
you've been able to, in a relatively short amount of time, come in and position yourself as the person to talk to. You're talking with CEOs of these companies and they're coming to you. What does that look like to get from where you were to where you are now? I just kept creating, especially because it was the lead generation for my company, especially for the content creators who are trying to leverage content for building a business, regardless of the medium. I looked at it as all my podcast episodes were sales calls. They just didn't know it was a sales call. They didn't know they needed me and they didn't know it was a sales call, which was perfect because they didn't have the barriers up going into the call. No one gets excited about going on a sales call. Like, man, I cannot wait for this guy's pitch. This is exciting. Unless it's something you're desperately searching for, it doesn't work that way. But when it's an interview, like, hey, this is pretty cool. I got to do this interview here. I'm so important. Let me talk about my ego. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes it really easy to do that call. But once I started doing them every single week, other people would share it. I made specific asks and you know, I went the next step. I created a standardized shareable image. This is my design skills talking and you've probably seen a handful of things I've designed. <laughs> I'm not a designer. Zero bit. 100% minus 100%. I'm not a designer. So I went to Canva. It's 600 by 600 image. That fits all platforms basically. I have a cityscape. I think Seattle, maybe I put, because I was based in the Northwest when I started doing better on the podcast. I started in Nashville, but took it with me to Seattle. But anyway, I put like a greenish filter over it. So it was kind of matching my color scheme. I just put one of those template circles and then cut off like half off the page because I thought that's what cool kids do. And then I just made it part of the process. Hey, send me your headshot. Well, it's part of my form. I have people fill out a form to streamline how I schedule guests. And then it has the show episode, the person's name, their title, and that's it. So I have a standardized shareable image and I would give that to all guests because now they have something to promote themselves. And a lot of times, remember, they're busy. They're so busy and they're strapped for resources. The startups I talk to, even the bigger companies will share this image. That validates me. Like That's part of the turning point is when other people validate me. And I've talked to CEOs themselves in their business career who have done billions in business. I've had CEOs on the show where their businesses themselves are doing 50 million and up. And then I've had CEOs on the show where literally the week I'm interviewing them is the week they even announce their company exists. That gives me this really interesting reach. And I cover both ends of the industry. You do that enough times with enough people, it's the Kevin Bacon effect. People get to know you. It's so crazy how there's some things I can plan. I can plan my prospecting efforts. But like earlier this year, I was in LA. I was at a conference. A guy came up to me and said, hey, are you Nate Smoyer? I said, depends on who's asking. You know, <laughs> just always be careful about how you answer. <laughs> he says, hey, you know, he introduces himself. He said, I listen to your podcast. I'm like, well, that's freaking weird. Nice to meet you. And I said, what do you do? And he says, I'm an analyst for a private equity firm. It's a very well-respected private equity firm here in Chicago. And this past week, so this is like in January, I think it was January, February, earlier this year. Well, fast forward now, you know, I didn't start with the company I'm with now until July. In this past week, his private equity firm published a highlight feature of the company I'm at. And they sent it out to their list of institutional investors. Wow. So there's things you can plan for, like your prospecting, your structure, your commitment to content every week. But the compounds effects, like you can't always plan for the return, like how that'll all turn around. 
And so when people advocate for you, when they talk about you, because you did that first, the natural, right, theory of reciprocity, you get all the additional benefits that come with that. And sometimes it means someone takes the time to research your company and they want to connect with you. And then they email your stuff out to a whole bunch of institutional investors. That's not such a bad thing. Yeah, it's pretty good. Wow. So one of the things that you had touched on a bit earlier when you were talking about launching was you said that since you're in marketing and advertising, you should be able to launch, have a successful launch. So what did that look like? I'm really curious. And I'm like half asking for the audience and half asking for myself because I'm about to launch this thing and I need yeah. to know. Yeah. So I'll tell you exactly what it looked like. I'm in the car. First off, I ship all the episodes live in a hurried manner because I got to get grab my backpack because I'm heading to the mountains with some mutual contacts of ours, Tyrell and Kent. We're in the car and Tyrell says, hey, I want to hear your podcast. Cool. So we listen to one episode and it goes okay. It's actually one I remember the company called One Rent with the CMO, co-founder uh, Chuck Hadamer. And then we got to the next episode was with Tyler Forte. He runs a company called Felix Homes. They're based in Nat. Well, he's based in New York. The brokerage is based in Nashville. He's got a very interesting model. It starts off without the music because I didn't add the bumper. And then it goes, hold on one second. My dog's about to start barking. <laughs> And then I realized that I had uploaded the wrong file and uh, I'm already in the mountains. I don't have my laptop. I can't fix this. So now I have to go the whole weekend with people listening to my podcast and hearing the raw file with my dog barking and all the pre-show and post-show banter. (laughs) The good news is about maybe 30 people downloaded the episode. Maybe. And downloads don't equal listens. So it wasn't that it was a failed launch. I wouldn't call it a splash. It was a splash if the size of the pool was a bathtub, (laughs) you know, and you, and you drop the bottle of shampoo into like three inches of water. Like that's the splash it was. So it wasn't a big launch. It wasn't amazing. Shipping any sort of new content channel is typically going to take a little bit to catch on. I wouldn't even say that it's certainly caught on now. I just have the attention of the right people. And I realized that early on, my audience was going to be smaller than most. And I've come to grips with that. And that's cool. I mean, it's grown quite a bit. But that launch wasn't spectacular. And the second season launch was no better, despite a significant amount more work that I put into it. And I paid for some advertising and did all these things. I was like, oh, it's going to blow up. And then it didn't. I was like, I don't understand. And then I realized that I was trying to make something for an audience that didn't care about something. They just wanted something awesome which was the content. They didn't care about the marketing piece of it. So it was interesting that as a marketer, yeah, I I was like convinced I was going to blow this thing up and a thousand people a day would listen to it. That wasn't the case. Really what started working for me way more than any big launch, having worked in product sales and e-com, that's where you make a lot of your money. It was the compound effect over time. That's where the real benefit was. I got better at it. I was better at prepping my guests. I was better at onboarding my guests. I was better at recording and the post-show production and getting it live and streamlining that whole process to where it didn't take very much time and I got a good product out of it. That's great. I'm curious about looking back over the... So it's been about a year, right? Since you started? Yeah, a little bit over a a year, I think. Yep. Yeah. Like that. So looking back over the last year, like what were some of your greatest learning moments? I wish I had started sooner. 
I probably would have started sooner. Probably would have shipped sooner. I kept battling this idea of like, who am I concept. Once I answered that, it made things easier. I have a passion and interest in this industry and I have an unsatiable curiosity and a willingness to share it with others. That's a simple response to that question as to why should I be presenting this? Another one, it was, why ain't nobody else going to do it? And there's a few people covering similar stuff. They do it differently. They're all VC related or they're an incubator related or they have private equity behind them. And so their shows have different motivations. And I listen to their shows and I love them and they're great, but I don't have any LPs in this. I got no money in the companies I'm featuring. Well, on the front end, some of them became clients. So that kind of helped and worked out. I think those are probably the biggest mistakes. There was one show I forgot to record half of it recently, like the other week, I forgot to record the entire show, which was the first time I'd done that. Um, <laughs> By the way, thanks for reminding me to hit record at the beginning of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, you know, honestly, you, you should never work off memory when you're doing something like this. You should always have a checklist. That goes for what you tell the guests, instructions in your calendar invite, the script you work off of for your questions, the follow-up process, detail it. Even if you're doing all of it, detail the whole process because you want to put together a complete product. And I don't care if your specialty is data visualization with a focus on the financial industry that sources private equity capital to real estate investment trusts that only focus on Florida panhandle. I don't care it's that special make sure that the podcast product looks complete because they don't notice all the work that goes into it. If they don't notice everything that you're having to put into it and it just looks like it works, that's best. If they start noticing how hard you're trying or how you missed on something or they start picking up on, well, it looked like he meant to do this, but he didn't do that, then that's where it hurts you because they'll never get to the point of asking you, hey, can you handle the data visualization for my real estate investment trust that only focuses on the Florida panhandle? They'll never ask you for help on that. Good job remembering all of that, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of fresh in my head. I've been doing a little bit of research on REITs. Awesome. So looking forward, what does the next year look like for TechNest? Have you thought about that much? Quite a bit. So I mentioned I was having a tough time keeping up. I've transitioned from running an agency to working full-time at Avail, and it's made it difficult. We are very much in startup mode. We have some VC backing, and what comes with that is VC growth expectations. So as the person leading the charge in marketing, it's my responsibility to hit our growth objectives. Pretty stoked to say the last two months, we hit them. Pretty amazing. And I know what we're trying to do, and it's freaking hard. So it's left me kind of tight on time. And it's just meant that I had to reevaluate how I went about my show and what I was doing and how I was doing it. So, you know, I mentioned earlier, I have a form that people fill out. That form, I collect all the show guests' information, description of their company, their bio. It asks for the guests' headshot. And then once that form is submitted, it prompts them to go to my Calendly page, They book a time that works for them. I can only do now evenings and Saturdays for recordings. And while I realize that that's inconvenient for a lot of people, that is just the only time I'm able to give. And I'm okay with that at this point. Depending on who you are and where you're at and your stages, you're going to either have to make more sacrifices to others or you can tell people, hey, this is the line. You must be this tall to ride. 
And that's kind of the line I've had to draw because we get 24 hours a day and I'm pretty sure I only have seven a week. So I got to make it fit in, but I still see myself doing it. What I found is that even though I'm not trying to sell to the companies I have on the show, the value I deliver to a lot of those CEOs, they really get it because a lot of them haven't had practice on podcasts. And what I prep them for is, hey, you might be seed stage or early A stage right now, but you're gonna have to tell your story a lot more. And so work with me because I'm gonna help you get practice. You know, I'm gonna help you figure that how to tell that story. And I've learned how to position my podcast to do that. At the same time, there's partnership opportunities and business development opportunities that come out of this, as well as I now know the prop tech landscape way better than a lot of other people who've been working in it for years. I've spent 70 hours or so interviewing founders, CEOs, executives, and investors in our industry. I've done more industry research than a lot of other people. And so when people say so-and-so just raised, you know, I'll talk about it. So like one of them was um, this company called Rhino. They just raised $21 million in their Series A funding. They provide tenancy ability to move into apartments without security deposits. Pretty cool product. I've been very aware of them and I know their business model in and out, even though I've never talked to anyone over there because I interviewed one of their competitors and their competitors called Obligo. And they have a totally different business model and we broke that down. And so I now know both their business models and they're connected to my industry and they go after some of the same clients that we go after. And so I have that knowledge of what they're trying to do and where they're going with it and this constant move and shake of the industry so that when I talk to people, they actually do listen to us to what I'm saying because I know funding history. I know who's funding who. I know who's going after what. I know their positioning statements. And probably one of the biggest benefits a lot of people don't realize about podcasts that I think is pretty cool. And if you have a good interview, we are our favorite topic. This is why you hear your name in a crowded hall because you're just looking for someone who's talking about you. When you get someone to talk about their stuff a lot, they start saying things that they didn't plan on saying. And that's where you get like some of the good truths. I've had multiple episodes where people have emailed me after the interview and said, hey, can you please take out that one thing that I said about this thing over here? Pretty sure I'm not supposed to talk about that or <laughs> that reviewed if I can talk. I'm not sure we can say that. Stuff like that. I had one guest though, which was kind of funny. Janine Yorio from a company called Compound. I asked her, I said, so I know that you're in the middle of fundraising and I've been following you guys since you did your private syndicate through AngelList or whatever. I said, can you tell me more about that? She goes, I'd rather not. And I said, okay. <laughs> All right, well, let's move on to the next question. Some people won't talk about everything. She's pretty cool. So I think that moving forward, it's going to be still a lot more interviews. I'm going to broaden the scope probably of who I talk to. Unfortunately, my competitors in the landlord space will not get time on my show. Sorry, guys. But outside of that, I'm open. I was just telling my wife, I have three interviews on Saturday. This coming Saturday to take care of. But I'm like, just stack them up. Just get the whole month out the way. It'll be good though. Some of them are pretty cool. That's great. I've got one last question for you. And that is, if you had one piece of advice for all the content creators out there, what would that be? Stop sitting on your hands. You know, he is in the tools. Less gab, more grab. The hard part is thinking through what's the end result. When you start getting clarity on what the end result is, then it makes doing the first thing a little bit easier because at least you can try to aim for that in the right direction. So I'll take this full circle. When I started my agency, 
I called it Real Team Panda because I was previously at the same company that Josiah and I worked at. My team was called Team Panda for partnerships and advertising. That's what I do really well. And Real Team Panda is simply because someone took the Slack channel Team Panda. I wanted Real <laughs> Team Panda you know, to verify that I'm the only one original. And I figured, hey, I'll call it that because I don't know what this business really is going to be. I had no idea. All I know was that no one in Nashville would hire me. I couldn't get a job. I couldn't even get an interview. Only that goober Dave Ramsey's company interviewed me. Can't believe I went for an interview, but that's another day. And so, <laughs> so I said, all right, I'm going to start an agency because I'm good at marketing. I can help a lot of people with marketing. I don't know how to run an agency. Never worked in one, never worked with agencies, but I can figure this out. I said, if I'm going to start an agency, I need to set the ground rules. Here are the ground rules. Number one, I hate doing agency work, so I need a way out. So day one on the agency, I said, I need a way out of this business. The first option is someone buys me. Pipe dream, but hey, maybe crazier things have happened. The second one was I create a product based on the needs of my clients. So as you're working with clients, you're doing research. You're undoubtedly going to find a product that fits a need. Just become your own client. Or the third one was, you find a client that you work with so well that you end up joining their team. And so I started creating my agency. I floundered for about four and a half months. Then my friend Josiah was like, hey, I took this course and it changed how I did my business. And so I was like, okay. And then I went out and found someone who did courses in my specific area, took a course and it changed my business. That's a true story. That walk and chat <laughs> is foundational. Then I created the podcast to create the sales funnel because I didn't want to pay a whole bunch of money on ads, even though my business was running ads. That's not how I did business. That's another story for another day. That got me to talking to a company, which then I highlighted a need in their business that I could solve. They hired me as an agency. I came out and met with them. We did so well together. They hired me. I moved to Chicago and shut down my agency. When you follow the whole path of that, it started with, I just needed a name for something. It didn't matter what it was. Real Team Panda could be a t-shirt company. We could literally be trash picker uppers. We could be a shredding service. It could be the, the company that you hire to go collect your debt. Or it could be an agency. It didn't matter. But I had to do something in the right direction. And the end result I had determined, I had three end results. So I even had more directions I could pick as like the final. And then figuring out how to get there, like I had to create something. And it could have been a podcast, a video, YouTube, a viral Instagram sensation. But I chose one and then I went hard into that one. It just so happens that podcasts are fairly immediate in delivering a message and pretty low cost in creating. And also good for people who don't write or enjoy writing a lot. So start with the end in mind and commit. Yeah. 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 That's the summary. Awesome. Sorry. TLDR. No, that's great. Man, Nate, I really appreciate you coming on, being my inaugural guest. This is fantastic. Lots of great stuff in there. Before we wrap up here, why don't you just tell everyone where they can find you, where they can follow you online? Yeah, I'm everywhere at Nate's more Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, TikTok. I'm on TikTok. You're on TikTok yet? I don't even know what TikTok is. Oh, well, not, not the Bloomberg company with the T-I-C-T-O-C. Okay. You can always check out my website, natesmoyer.com, realteampanda.com, technest.io. That is the link to my podcast. You'll want to go into the app store. Leave me a five-star review. As always, if you know somebody who could be a good guest, who is a leader and innovator in real estate tech, have them shoot me an email at nate at realteampanda.com. That's nate at realteampanda, 
com. It sounds like you had that rehearsed there. <laughs> <laughs> I've said it a few times, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Great. Well, I really appreciate it, Nate. And we'll be following you to see where TechNest goes next. Yeah, appreciate it so much. I'll be rooting for you. Thanks a lot. Hey, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Content Heroes podcast. I just wanted to take a second and let you know that we have some amazing guests planned for the coming weeks. So if you haven't already, go ahead and hit subscribe so you can make sure to catch every episode. And if you enjoyed today's episode, go ahead and leave a five-star review to help make it easier for other content creators to find and enjoy the show. Lastly, I'd like to invite you to join our Content Heroes Facebook community where you can connect with other online content creators to share, learn, grow, and have fun. To join the group, just visit contentheroes.com slash Facebook. Once again, that is contentheroes.com slash Facebook.